Welcome back to the Hex Drinkers Podcast. This is episode 32, and my name is Oakley, and I am joined by Eric. Hello! And that's it! <laughs> <laughs> it's just me and Eric this week. Julian and Chev are both uh, on vacation right now. Uh, lucky them. They're taking a, a nice little, you know, upper management uh, vacation break. Exactly. We're down here. We're down here in the gutters, yep. digging up content for you. That's right. But much like any uh, lower level employee, <laughs> while their management's on vacation, we're here to just mess around a bit. <laughs> yeah. So, Eric, why don't you tell us, or why don't you tell us, us being you and I and everyone that's listening, <laughs> uh, about what the topic is for today? That you and yeah. I... So, today's topic is an experience that you and I share that. Uh, neither of our other hex drinkers do. Mm-hmm. They're they're too busy hitting the links at one p.m. to experience this. Yep. Uh, we're talking about having multiple playgroups uh, in college. Both Oakley and I uh, sort of found our way into other playgroups and uh, ended up trying to maintain sort of both, where we still played with the hex drinkers and our high school friends, and then also had this sort of other. Uh, secondary playgroup, or at some points, uh, it was even my primary playgroup was to play with them more often, just because I was at school, and they were all across the hall, whereas <laughs> these gentlemen had scattered themselves to the wind. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm very much in the same boat uh, where, for a long time, you know, especially before we were doing Hex Drinker stuff, which we only really started doing towards, I mean, for me and Chev towards the end of college, but for you and Julian, you were already graduated, um... We only really started doing this recently, and up until then, after high school, uh, pretty much, yeah, primary playgroup had been in college, so uh, definitely my play developed a lot there, I'm sure Eric's the same, and I think it's very interesting looking at this notes is that despite having this sort of similar experience, uh, we both have very different playgroups, so... yeah. Um, so Eric, I'm interested to hear about yours a bit, because I know you've sort of developed into like a... Uh, into a lot of, like, CDH stuff and whatnot, so... Yeah, so I brought my Magic decks to college just sort of on the off chance that, like, eh, maybe people will want to, like... Like, maybe there will be someone there who plays. But I, I, I hid them away so that I wouldn't be, like, immediately hit with the, like, you're a nerd. But, like, <laughs> turns out I just want to be a nerd, and so I should have just, like, put them up on front of my door or something. Anyway, I actually got everyone in that playgroup into Magic. Um, one of the guys came up to visit me over winter break and I like showed him magic cards and he was like, oh, this is super interesting. A couple of people had played before, like very sparingly. And then I got him in on like the pre-con level and they, they sort of jumped off from there, but they pretty quickly got out of control. <laughs> um, <laughs> it developed into a, uh, a pretty competitive play group pretty quickly and I'll get more into that later, but they... They really liked the high power stuff, and that was sort of where we landed. Uh, we'll still occasionally play plane chase, but uh, they they mostly seek out sort of that top level stuff. Yep. Uh, how did how did you end up uh, sort of finding your guys? So yeah, so freshman year of college, I had brought my magic decks to school with me, and at this point, we were already playing like primarily EDH. So like I had like two or so, EDH decks. Um, mostly just to play with Chev, because, like, mm. me and Chev, you know, we both went to the same uh, 
college, Northeastern, and uh, we've known each other since kindergarten, so of course we're going to play some Magic together. Um, <clears throat> but we did end up in different dorms. Chev uh, was in the mixed uh, honors dorm, and I was in the computer science nerd dorm. So, as you might have guessed, there was a lot of kids there that liked to play Magic, and I don't know... I think, you know, I just, I might have, I don't know exactly how it came up for the first time. Like, someone might have mentioned it, or like, I know I had one, like, a deck sitting on my desk at some point, someone might have just seen it. Um, but, eventually we sort of, like, were able to amass, like, a, enough people to have, like, a pod, uh, of, after, you know, sort of pulling around and seeing who was actually, like, interested in magic, and, uh, who had decks and whatnot. So... A lot of people have joined and left since then. Um, a lot of people who had never played Magic before, uh, I feel like, had learned and gone into it from this group. And, you know, as we are now done with school, a lot of us have gone our separate ways into different parts of the country to work. And not all of us run a podcast together, <laughs> so it's a bit harder to keep up with those guys in terms of VDH. But there's still a good amount of us in Boston. Uh, which is nice. So, uh, our normal play format is, again, that multiplayer EDH, but with this group, I also get together to do drafts and pre-releases with them, because, fr quite frankly, it completely beats just doing it with random people. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was, I've been in a... Uh, I only got, really, three other guys into it. A couple other people would, like, pick up a deck, and they would try, and they'd be like, that's quirky, and then they wouldn't really... <laughs> be into it but the uh these three guys i've managed to get fully hooked on uh on cardboard crack um <laughs> but uh some of them uh one of them is a big like legends of runeterra player uh but like he still plays edh uh the other guy does a lot of uh online magic drafts and stuff like that and then one of them is actually a professional streamer but uh, whenever he streams magic stuff, his fans are like, just play more Smash, so he doesn't get to play quite as much as he would like. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Yeah, I'm like far from the oldest magic player in my group, like, and far from the newest. I'm like right in between. Like, we started nice. around 2015, but like, some of these guys I know have been playing for like ages, and then others got into it during school. So, yeah. So, in these, in these play groups, uh, Eric, I know we talk a lot about our our games and the uh, as the hex drinkers together a lot, mm. but in terms of the play group you have outside of the hex drinkers, uh, what sort of like what kind of decks do you see there? Do you have any special rules, and are there any like other like rule zero house rules you like incorporate there? And what are what are your thoughts on all those? Yeah. So we, we've only ever developed one house rule, and it's that each person in the playgroup can ban one card at a time. You can switch your ban at any time, except, like, during a play session. Uh, after one particularly frustrating play session, I banned uh, one of the Tesa. I think Tesa. Big I think Tesa? it's like Tesa Orzov Scion. Yeah, probably Big Tesa. Large uh, Is the Tesa, Tesa with protection from creatures? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
she made me so unbelievably upset when I was playing the Marath deck one day. I was like, you know what? That card's banned in our playgroup. It's still banned in our playgroup as far as I'm concerned. No, wait. I got to uh, ask real quick. Was that yeah. someone's commander or was it just no, someone's in the 99? Okay. I was going to say, if that was if someone was playing that as the commander, that would be just mean as hell, honestly. <laughs> I could even do that, you know? Because the, the Marath deck was like a Voltron deck, and I would be like, okay, I can't like shoot Tesa to get her out of the way. I can't swing past her. And so, like, whenever this card hit the board, the, the deck just died on the vine. So I was like, get this out of here. Not paying for Swords to Plowshares or any of that nonsense. I want fight cards and a big Marath. Yep. Um, no one else ever used their bands. Everyone just sort of really got on top of, like, adapting their decks and stuff. So, uh... We actually really have never used Rule Zero for anything other than me banning uh, Big Tesa. <laughs> Is Tesa still banned today? In my eyes, yes. <laughs> if someone were to play Big Tesa, I would be like, excuse me, that card's banned. <laughs> <laughs> nice. um, early on, the powerful decks were uh, Mizzix and Marin. Uh, one big powerful element of the Mizzix decks deck was the Mizzix player didn't understand how the recall mechanic worked and so he never discarded a land uh, to cast it's what is it, it wait uh, retrace you mean retrace yeah the I know uh, what you're talking about <laughs> it's like call of the sky lords or something it makes yeah. a five five flyer for like one red mana <laughs> but you have to discard a land yep. and he just wouldn't because none of us could read cards properly. <laughs> uh, and then the other powerful deck was Marin, because that, that commander's just busted. Yep. But uh, the format, like, with us really took off with the release of the four-color commanders, commanders, and specifically Atraxa. Mm -hmm. uh, from there, everything just kind of went gas, 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 straight into combo town. <laughs> and uh, now the strongest decks in the format are Inala, Grand Arbiter Augustine, and Timna Thrasios. Those are everyone's sort of absolute powerhouses, and they're uh, they're pretty intimidating. Yeah, uh, it's oh, it's just short of top level CDH. Now wait, um, you mentioned three decks there, and I assume none of those are yours. What is your top level deck in that play group? That would be my Carador deck. Okay, um, it's it's still fringe CDH. It has a very similar win route to the Timna Thrasios deck. Mm -hmm. I just like Carador more because. He has cool flavor text. Yeah. He is and cool. also, I don't know, Tim Thrasios is just, it's overdone. It's overplayed. Mm. Give me give me some good old boys. Yeah. By good old boys, I mean like 2014 or 15, whatever he came <laughs> I think they were 2013, maybe. Oh, he was 2013. Yeah. Right, never mind. That was like he, the first year. <laughs> he's back there. He's back yeah. there. Yeah. Um, um. Yeah, I, lo I love me some Timna, and it's unfortunate that... It, Timna is just always associated with high level EDH. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you know, I just like I yeah. just like attacking for cards. I mean, yeah, she's great as a value engine at yeah. any power level. Yeah, this is true. Um, so I notice a, a theme of yours definitely seems to be like the commander precons. Like you know, you mentioned like Mizix and Marin being originally very powerful, and then like stuff taking off with the four color precons. And I know like our um, History of Magic definitely coincides with the releases of those, because we started, like, 2015, when, uh, I believe the 2013... Planeswalker decks? Yeah, and, the, and then the 2014 Planeswalker uh, EDH decks had come out. And I think um, the sort of path 
for a lot of the strong decks in my uh, alternate playgroup has been very similar. The first one I think I went up against that was really strong was a Duretti deck, and I I also brought Duretti, and I, I thought mine was pretty nasty with the, uh, you know, after a while, like, too nasty with the Mindslaver lock, mm. but that Duretti deck had Winter Orb, and that card just doesn't even win the game. That just card just drags it out. I remember being really, really drunk one day playing uh, <laughs> Duretti versus Duretti, and I just, that, oh my god, that game went off, I was sober by the time it was done. <laughs> that sounds... Miserable. Yeah, it was rough. Actually, yeah, what I think actually happened is I conceded pretty early on and was just like, yeah, I don't think so. Um, but yeah, also, um, Zuri, which was in that, you know, same block as Mizzix and Marin, uh, was a good one. And then uh, I had one friend who had a really cheeky uh, kin- oh, shoot. Kinios in Tiro deck, the four-color, yeah, the no-black yeah. four-color. Um, that was just like, he just... It wasn't even, it was, like, basically just a pre-con, but he played it so well politically that, like, I, I swear, like, that game had, like, a 90% win rate in, on, like, the 10 games it played, and it was just, like, play politics the whole game, and then drop just, like, a treacherous train on turn 20, and kill everyone, <laughs> uh, which is wild. Uh, and then, like, uh, more recently, there's been uh, an Estrid enchantment deck, and an Animato, uh... I def- def- definitely didn't pronounce that right, but like a blink deck. Um, yeah. And that deck, oh man, that deck is nasty because it's just so much value. Um, <clears throat> a couple other ones, uh, just worthy mentions. Uh, maybe, I don't know, perhaps someone in my other playgroup is watching this right now, but uh, Locust God is a very memorable, uh, strong EDH deck. Uh, just like, strong in the sense that you can make it really strong without even like paying a ton of money for it. You know what I mean? Um, yep. And not competitively strong or anything, but, like, still strong. And then, like, yeah. um, it's another really good Ailey deck that was just, like, life gain, life gain, and then win with, like, Aetherflux Reservoir. Which, let me tell you, Aetherflux Reservoir is just, like, is, like, you got a gun to someone's head when you have more than 50 life. It's just, like, I'll do it, man. I'll fucking do it. <laughs> like, I'll just, I'll let it fly if you mess with me, you know? <laughs> so, it's scary. Yeah. Because even if you have exactly 50 life, you could be, like, listen. Yep. We're both going. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, uh, that was just... That's always been a crazy deck. Then, of course, um, Maelstrom Wanderer, which I think has uh, kind of set the precedent for the cap of how strong we want the decks in that playgroup to be. Because we, we, I don't think we were really looking to breach the competitive scene by any means, but we're pretty high up in terms of, like, casual magic. I'd say, like... Maelstrom Wanderer is, like, if something goes above that, the power level of that, like, the old level, then it's, like, okay, maybe this is going a little too far. <laughs> like, if someone's Maelstrom running... Wanderer is spooky. Yeah, that, I, that deck is legitimately scary. I, I do I do really love my Maelstrom Wanderer, and I don't want to talk it up like it's some, you know, god-tier deck or anything, because it's not. But I, I think it's a lot of fun in uh, for casual magic, and, yeah, I think it's a good cap point. Uh, one interesting thing I'll say about this playgroup... Um, we don't have a ban rule like yours, which was like, each person gets to choose one. Although, I, I do like that rule a lot. I think that's really cool, and I almost think we should talk about that with, uh, Chev and Julian, because that might be interesting. I feel like Cyclonic Rift would be the first card to go. <laughs> the question is, who's gonna hit it? Yeah, exactly! <laughs> no, okay. So, okay, here's the plan. I'll... 
I'll bring it up, and then we just wait for Julian to say it, because he'll jump right on that, I th- I feel like. All right. Because nah, Julian's always playing. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, he is. But he complains about it just as much as he plays it, so I don't that's know. That's fair. Um, but anyways, we, we only have one ban in this playgroup outside the normal ban list, and that is Soul Ring. And I think uh, it's worked out for our sort of target power level uh thing that we've been going for. It it is like the cheapest, like I'd say I mean I know we had a big discussion about this just two podcasts ago about like the power level and like point value of cards, but um uh, I'd say this is a good this was a good ban overall. It's just um you know, I mean there's a lot of criticisms against Soul Ring and I think it frees up space and just makes it so that you can't have any games where someone just goes off and locks it out, um, turn zero, which is really what we're looking to avoid in that sort of mindset of not wanting to breach, like, the competitive scene. Yeah. It's it's definitely a card that can completely change the start of a game, and it's also, like, $2. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a very weird space to be in. Yep. Absolutely. I, I feel like, I almost feel like, on the topic of Maelstrom Wanderer, that was a... Uh, like, that just seems like an auto-include in that, because Maelstrom Wonder, you know, it costs 8 mana. So, I I like to think that it went towards the <laughs> banning of that. <clears throat> mm. So, now that we've sort of discussed our, uh, what the what the standard, or general meta of our playgroups are, uh, what, are, what about, what are the struggles of having 2-plus playgroups, Eric? What do you think? Yeah, I would say that, like, the, the biggest hurdle for me has obviously been You've sort of called out Maelstrom Wanderers, the cap in your college playgroup. I think it's also sort of been the soft cap in the Hex Drinkers. Yeah, Where if, if a deck showed up tomorrow and it was notably more powerful than Maelstrom Wanderer, people might have some questions. Mm-hmm. And they might be like, hey, like this is kind of messed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, your Maelstrom Wanderer legitimately 2v1'd Chev and I the other day. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. It. Julian is editing this podcast right now and is like, I helped, I freaking helped, I freaking did some stuff. <laughs> but your deck absolutely kicked the crap out of us, Fair. and yep. I think that is an it is a notably strong deck. Yeah. And so having to go sort of well above that, or not well above that, but above that into like yeah. the, the fully competitive, like combo oriented, stacks oriented play group is very different. And so having to build decks, essentially spending time building decks where I know I can only play them in one of my playgroups has been kind of frustrating because if I build, you know, any time that I spend working on the Ur-Dragon is really just for this playgroup because if I go to my other playgroup and say, hey, I want to play the Ur-Dragon, they're going to be like, uh, I don't really have like a, like a high power, like seven. Mm-hmm. So like, do you mind if I just play my eight? eight cdh deck and i'm like (laughs) one of us is gonna have a really bad time and we (laughs) don't know who it is until we draw seven because sometimes i just draw a bunch of big dragons and smack the crap out of them as they're trying to build up a combo which their deck isn't ready to remove that many beaters or sometimes i'm like ah yes turn five land go (laughs) (laughs) and you know then they combo off in my face and i can do nothing about it so there's uh, there's some interesting stuff in terms of having to build decks at those different power levels, and that's that's definitely been a struggle for me. And then uh, it hasn't really affected me, but I, I know that it's 
you mentioned sort of it affected your Maelstrom Wanderer deck to some extent, but I know that rule zero and like playgroup house rules across stuff can be can be a really big struggle. Yeah, um, definitely, like, especially to the point of Soul Ring, and I guess, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I'm gonna say this, and then I'm gonna be like, man, I have such a, I'm, I have such a hard life, but then, like, you're, you're out here, like, making one deck per group, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, man, I gotta swap out my Soul Ring, like, just, like, to play with this one group, and then I gotta swap it back in to play with these other guys. It's like, oh, my life is so hard. But, <laughs> like, yeah, I, gu- I guess... It's not quite that bad, to be yeah. clear. A little bit of hyperbole, but yeah, okay. it's... Fair, fair. But, like, yeah, I, I guess that that's the biggest issue, really, for me, is just um, when things get sort of banned or, like, frowned upon in one group, uh, having to make adjustments between, like, a deck you really like uh, for those two groups is just, like, uh, this is really annoying. It reminds me of the days, like, before we sort of, like, allowed, um, proxies of cards you own in our, like, paper, you know, uh, group meta, um, where yeah. it's just like, oh, I have this, like, really, I have this Chaos Warp in my Dorite deck, but I don't want to buy a second one. You know, Chaos Warp's not expensive, but this is just an example. Yeah. Um, so I gotta put it into my Scion of the Ur Dragon deck now because I wanted in there too. I don't know why I'm running in Scion, but I just am. <laughs> yeah, like oh. every deck, every time everyone's like, "All right, let's switch decks." You're like, "Hold on, let me unsleeve five yeah. cards." Exactly. That was how that was how it was, and that's kind of how it is with this. Because just like, oh, okay, now like I gotta unsleeve my Soul Ring, and then I gotta. Oh, did I bring that other card? Uh, well, let's see. I guess I'll just. Can I borrow basic land? Like I'll just replace it with that. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <clears throat> And then, um, yeah, I, I think there's that, and then the fact that, um, sort of like I mentioned, like, some cards are not banned, but, like, frowned upon. Um, I think I think people have different judgments of, like, the power level of cards across playgroups. And so, like, in playing with you guys, um, like, you might see, like, oh, I'll just run, I'll run, like, Narset or something. Like, three mana Narset. And you might be like, yeah. oh, that card's really powerful, but, like, I know you're not running, like, Windfall in whatever deck you're playing Narset in, because you're not that mean. But then, like, in my other playgroup, it's like, oh, if I put Narset in the deck, I am, uh, I'm getting targeted instantly. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? And the, I think the same goes the other way around, where it's just like, um, like, Chet brought this up in our, one of our recent uh, videos, like, his experience with, like, Yogmoth in... Yogmoth Ran Physician in um, Hapatra, where it's just like, oh, like, this card isn't doing, like, that much. It's just like, I just want to sack some snakes, put some minus one, minus one counters on or something. And then, like, meanwhile, my other player group, my friend, has this, like, nasty Yogmoth deck. It's just like, this this thing gets up to some tricks. And um, so as soon as I see Yogmoth, I'm just like, get that out of here. And Chev's like, come on, man. It's just like, no, man, I've seen that. I've seen what that card can do. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, I don't, I don't mean any harm, but, like, I just... I got, I'm getting flashbacks. <laughs> I have a friend with a, a fringe competitive Apatra deck that is, uh, it, it features Yogmoth in it, and I have the exact same gut reaction where I see Yogmoth on the field, and I'm like, mm-mm, not today. You die now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it gets tricky there, and the same goes for, like, you know, maybe, like, Dual Caster Mage. Like, I play Dual Caster Mage in this other play group, and it's just like... All right, he just wants to copy his with spells, but Julian sees his dual caster mage, and he's just like, "I'm countering that. I don't trust you to not have heat shimmer or whatever." So yeah, yeah. Um, 
one thing that I, it's nowhere in my notes, but I, I thought of it sort of as we were going through this, is that there's also, like, a mental shift you have to make when you move between your playgroups, where, like, when I play with you guys and I'm playing the Ur-Dragon, I'm sort of focused on, like, okay, I want to tutor for more big dragons and more big beaters, because I'm, I'm just here to play big dragons, and that's very fun for me. Yep. If I'm playing in the other playgroup, I'm like, okay, is it the correct situation on the board where I should tutor for an infinite combo? <laughs> Because there are, there are like a couple niche infinite combos in the Ur-Dragon. I will sometimes accidentally run into them in the Hex Drinkers, but like I seek them out in that other playgroup sure. just because that's the right mental state to be in. And also, like you said, there are sort of cards that need to be targeted differently in different playgroups. Like yeah. Yawgmoth is a threat in Chev's deck because Yawgmoth and Hapatra just are a threat straight yeah. up. But, you know, seeing combo pieces land in that other playgroup for me is a huge red flag and then I'm like I have to either spend my last piece of removal or like go dig for some removal or something to get ready to stop this mm-hmm. whereas if I see Julian tutor like three times in a game I'm like or three times in a turn even I'm like ah, he's probably just doing <laughs> some dumb stuff yeah exactly <laughs> yeah I totally feel that yep um, yeah, so now that we've talked about some of the struggles of having multiple playgroups, uh, what about some of the perks? And, I mean, obviously, there's, you know, you get to play double magic, but what else is there? Yeah, I've gone first every time. Why don't you go first, huh? Okay, well, see, I don't have much for this one, because, you know, I'm just a pessimist, but, um, I, I think the best part of having multiple groups, is, you know, besides, of course, playing more magic, is, um, being able to introduce groups to tech you discover from members of other groups. And the first example that comes to mind with this is the first time I ever saw Eric play Eric U. Yeah. I, 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 could, I could just say you because it's only you and me. <laughs> the first time I ever saw you play Mystic Remora, I was like, yo, that card is sweet. Like, it's not Rhystic Study. It's way cheaper. It's, like, so much more better balanced. I'm putting that in my deck. And then I put that in there, and it's like, yeah, yeah, sweet. I played it a few times. I played it with my other group. And then... Play a few more times, it's like, oh, my friend's Estra deck has Mystic Remora now. That's sweet. You know, I get to see that. And it's like, you get you get the thrill of, like, even though it wasn't really you that discovered it, it was you that discovered it in, like, that circle. So yeah. it's kind of just like, hey, I'm the cool guy. And l- let me tell you something I didn't even r- write here, is that when it comes to, like, magic news, I pretty much am, like, the relay <laughs> between <laughs> the Hex Drinkers and this other group I play. Because, like, whenever I hear something in one group, I'll just, like, tell the other guys about it. Like, you know what I'm saying? And so it's just like, I don't even have to keep up with magic news. I just get it from one group, and then I'm just, like, the source for the other. So it's just like, this this is, like, the best scenario I could be in, you know? I, I can't think of anything better. <laughs> I do the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to end on this because I thought it was funny to end on, but... Like sharing info between groups and also like sharing memes when people set someone sends like a good magic meme and you're oh, like, Oh yeah. that's funny. You could be like, Ah, oh, let me forward that to the boys. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um But yeah, one like you said, card discovery is massive where uh other people are sort of doing their own research and doing their own thing, and you get to reap the benefit of that because It'll show up in their decks, and the next time you're thinking of building an Enchantress deck or a Voltron deck or something, you can look to your friend's decks and be like, okay, what did they do that was powerful, and sort of pull on that. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, one thing that I thought was really cool was essentially, like, the way that different people respond to new commanders and, like, new cards is really interesting to me, 
because I'll see something posted in the Hex Drinkers chat, and you guys will be like, oh, like, this looks sick, like, uh, I already, like, know what I want to do with this, sort of, and then I'll share it with my friends, and they're like, I don't know, this is, like, fine, or <laughs> vice versa, where someone's like, yo, I'm super excited about this card, and then I forward it on to you guys, and you guys are like, meh, yeah. whatever. And yeah. so just sort of getting a ton of different viewpoints on cards as they're coming out and as they're showing up in your deck, where, like, you'll you'll make a player, you'll do something, you'll add a card to your deck, and your friends will be like, oh, I think that was okay, but your other play group thought it was super cool. It gives you more ways to look at the same cards, and just sort of being able to talk magic with more people, I think, is really helpful for, like, yeah. how I viewed the game. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Actually, I didn't even think about this before, but really having multiple playgroups transcends just playing the game of Magic. It's like Magic news, spoilers, memes, <laughs> everything. Like you just get more influx of information, and like you said, more perspectives uh, on new cards and new memes, <laughs> which yeah. is great. Um, yeah, definitely worth it. I'd say. I mean, <laughs> there. I I know we talked. Feel like we talked at length about drawbacks, but I feel like you know, having multiple playgroups is definitely great, and we would definitely encourage anyone to seek um, alternate playgroups and don't feel like you're cheating on your friends because you're not. Yeah, <laughs> like it. It was definitely something where at points I've been like, I've thought it was weird to sort of have multiple playgroups and to feel like, oh, like I'm playing. I've played Magic with the Hex Drinkers so much more than I have with my other playgroup, but then I went on a Florida, the trip to Florida with oh. that other group of friends who plays Magic, so I played Magic with them for, like, a week, and it was, uh, there there was a little bit of that, like, oh, geez, like, I'm playing with Magic with these guys instead of these guys, but, like, y'all just play Magic, and it's, yeah. it's, it's really good to have more people that you share that passion with, and so yeah. if there's, like, some guys at your local store, like, some people in your college, like, like, on your floor, in your dorm, or whatever, like, start another playgroup. It'll be fun. Yeah, Get your yeah. friends addicted to cardboard. Yeah. <laughs> it's more expensive than crack, but healthier, arguably. In many ways. <laughs> Just don't snort the cards. Just um, don't snort the cards. <laughs> have you ever, uh, now, wait, I should know this, but have you ever had a crossover between your two playgroups, Eric? Like... Because I, I have once or twice. I know you guys have come up to Boston and played some Magic with my, you know, my other group before. So I don't think so. Uh -huh. uh, I would like I would love to have a crossover between you guys. It's just about mm -hmm. sort of putting the right group of people together and. Oh yeah. Uh, there could there can be a totally different like feeling for each group too. So yeah, it doesn't always work, but. Because there there fun. are definitely some people who I. I think would vibe better and some people who would vibe worse just based on how they play politically and or uh, not yes. politically like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Well, it can't get much worse than Julian, am I right? No, I'm just kidding. I don't want to talk smack about Julian when he's not even here to defend himself. <laughs> oh, I want to talk smack about Julian. <laughs> Let's talk smack right after this. We can post it right in the chat. That's fair. <laughs> All right, so I think we've covered a lot of uh, here, especially just for two people. Um, the definitely message we want to leave you with is um, don't be scared. Go out and find other people, other playgroups. Um, get new perspectives on Magic cards and uh, just play more Magic because it's a great game and it's a ton of fun. And yeah. Do you have anything else to say to the, the great people, Eric? The nice people? 
Uh, nothing in particular, other than, of course, uh, if you're looking for more Hex Drinkers content, you can find us on many places. I'm just going to try and rattle them off. Uh, Twitter at Hex Drinkers, YouTube at Hex Drinkers, Twitch at The Hex Drinkers. Uh, I, do we still have an Instagram account? I don't remember. I think so. Okay. <laughs> Instagram account at Hex Drinkers. Uh, of course, there is our lovely, lovely website. Uh, run by Chevin Oakley, which is uh, hexdrinkers.com. And then, uh, yeah, if you need to find more of our podcast, go to anywhere that you listen to podcasts pretty much. If you don't find it there, tweet us or email us at hexdrinkers at gmail.com and say, hey, why isn't your podcast here? And especially shout out to anchor.fm. They're a great sponsor of the show, and you can, of course, find our stuff there. Yeah. You can also sponsor us on Patreon, apparently. Uh, Chev is also the head on that, so um, I believe that is also at Hex Drinkers. Uh, if you want to get more magic content, if you want to get our notes for this, and if you want to hear the entire unedited uh, version of each of our podcasts, which includes often a lot of goofy takes and talking shit <laughs> in between, sure. in between uh, actually decent content. So, yeah, um, for Eric and myself, <laughs> and, of course, Chev and Julian, who aren't here. This They're here is, in spirit. Yes, always. Uh, this is Oakley, and we are signing out.